les armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas, Afrique. Afrique, Nanga, Oyamba, toi, cheveux crepus. Bah, toi, Maëlle, et Bosimba, ni Babigé. Oya Bilanga, Bosimba, ni Bakongo. Simba, ni Maboko, Mouna, les cartes, Afrique, Marobate, Monsalande. Africa, Mobali Mingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gâtes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, quand les gros ont souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Les gros ont combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. T'as raison, la tricherie ta seule arme, tu cries la démocratie, pour ton profit personnel, toi Africa. Tu règnes par la justice, la course au pouvoir, toujours d'écoute. And welcome, welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, speaking to you from Baltimore with my co-host, Kambale Musavuli, who's joining us via phone. Kambale, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I know you're particularly excited about uh, today's show. You've been talking about it uh, since yesterday as we were planning. And um, just so we can move a little bit forward, to today's show will explore concrete ways a nation that has been ravaged with wars and conflict can rebuild its institutions and create a framework for good governance and accountability. Our guest, Dal Alamasi, an expert on capacity development and governance in is joining us today to share his international experience in supporting institutions engaged in governance sector. And we want to remind our listeners who want to participate on this conversation today to call our show at 410-481-1010. We'll be taking the calls a little bit later on into the show. But uh, Kambale, if you can share with us the current affairs um, in the Congo right now. A lot is happening in the Congo right now. In the United Nations, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon visited the DRC this week. He met with a broad range of actors from civil society groups to the political class, private sector, youth leaders, and many other groups within uh, the Congo. He participated in an investor forum, the DRC government, private investors, and he assisted also on meeting uh, opposition leaders uh, who Some of them are interested in the political dialogue that the president uh, is organizing. He also encouraged the Kabila government to provide space for free expression and dissent. So we'll see what the Kabila regime will be doing. Uh, the Kabila regime has stepped up its shutting down of political space, unfortunately. He charged and sentenced six members of the youth group Lucha to prison for two years for inciting civil unrest simply because they held up signs during a football celebration calling for the respect of the DRC constitution. Former governor of the old Katanga province, uh, Moïse Katumbi, was obstructed by Congo's intelligence agency when he and his family tried to take off on his private jet. 
from the airport in Lubumbashi, the capital city of the former Katanga province. Uh, Tom Perillo, the U.S. Special Envoy to the Great Lakes region, held a press conference in Kinshasa yesterday where he outlined and reiterated the U.S. position on the political crisis in the DRC. He said the U.S. supported Congo's constitution that calls for elections to be held this year and for a new president to be chosen by the Congolese people. Lastly, the Electoral Commission announced that the elections for governors and vice governors will be held on March 26, next month. Initially, the elections were scheduled for August 31st, 2015, last year, but they were pushed back to October of last year, and then it was, uh, the process was aborted. It is still to be seen whether the newly scheduled election will actually take place on March 26. Monday, 
back to Congo Live. You were just listening to Zobola Dance by Congolese international superstar Kanda Bongo Man from the album Non-Stop Feeling. Kanda Bongo Man has brought to prominence Congolese music worldwide and has toured many African countries with performances not just in high-profile places with selling out crowds and stadiums but also in support of humanitarian efforts in South Sudan, Chad and other places around the world. Our guest today, Ntal Alimasi, a world traveler as well, who has consulted with many institutions in their efforts of creating mechanisms for accountability and good governance. This is true, Patricia, and I'm very excited that uh, Mr. Alimasi is joining us today. You know, he has uh, worked as a capacity development and governance consultant all around the world with academia, private sectors, government and international organizations, such of them such as the Catholic Relief Services, Save the Children, USAID, the U.S. State Department, the World Bank, and the African Development Bank. He also has worked in uh, countries such as Belgium, Benin, Burkina Faso, Burundi, Central Africa. I mean, the list is so long of how many uh, countries and institutions that he has worked with in helping them create a framework for good governance and uh, and definitely accountability. Uh, but what, what is also interesting is uh, a few years ago, uh, I hope we'll delve into that, he provided technical assistance to the International Youth Foundation and uh, its research team on the challenges and opportunities for the Congolese youth. Uh, currently, he is a PhD candidate in international and development education at the University of Pittsburgh. But what's more interesting is that he speaks English, French, Swahili, Lingala, Kikongo, Kinyarwanda, Kirundi, and Mashi. I don't even speak half of those languages, so I'm really impressed uh, by, by his multilingual skills, and I look forward uh, to having him right now on the show sharing with us. Welcome, Mr. Ali Masi. And thank you. Thank you. It's always great to have somebody in the studio. I'm usually sitting here by myself, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, the first question that I have for you is, when you speak, when I listen to your resume, it's quite an extensive uh, resume. What's a capacity development and governance consultant? What exactly do you do for our listeners who may not really understand, uh, you know, you have a long, extensive... Okay. Um... Capacity development mm -hmm. is, uh, it can do, you can be uh, in the field of either institutional uh, development, organizational development. Mm -hmm. You can work on government and things like that. But the point is that you take uh, the space where you do education, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you make sure that um, you leave behind uh, what I would call um I'm trying not to use the word capacity since okay. that's what I'm, I'm you know, um, you know, capabilities from people to do the job on their own. Got it. Got so for me, that's really the most important part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, actually, I would go by and say 
capacity development is the word that um, everybody uses mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. I prefer capacity enhancement. Enhancement, okay. Yeah, because um, that suppo- supposes that you go into a place where you know there's already some capacity, that people know what to do. Mm-hmm. People have an idea, but maybe it's uh, disorganized, mm-hmm. maybe it's not well planned. Maybe you have one or two other things that you can add to whatever, but you're only enhancing their way of, uh, their means uh, of doing things. So that's only part of a capacity enhancement for me. That's mm-hmm. uh, So if we can continue using capacity enhancement during this show, I'll be more than happy with that. Okay, let me make sure I note that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, then we get to the part where we talk about governance. My goodness. Um, I would just say, first of all, that... Um, in um, approaching uh, that um, concept of governance, there are so many confusions. Many, I mean, two main confusions that I'll put out there. Mm-hmm. People um, confuse governance with government mm. and actually with elections. So what, what so would be the, the differences? The, the difference is that uh, governance is all the mechanisms mm-hmm. and the processes processes that you put in place in order to what i would say to govern i mean to rule and uh, you know to uh, i would say uh, to lead an organization so it, it doesn't necessarily country. have to be a government yeah it doesn't government. have to be a government so that's only the one confusion that we have to take into place. The second confusion that people uh, have is when sometimes they confuse um, control of corruption mm-hmm. with governance. Mm. And that uh, sometimes, you, you know, you, you're going to hear people talking uh, back and forth. Uh, control of corruption is just one dimension of uh, governance, mm-hmm. just as accountability that we're going to talk about most today, mm-hmm. is one dimension of governance. Okay. Uh, and if you hear me talking about governance, I will try not to use the term good governance mm-hmm. because that's a repetition. Mm-hmm. Really, governance is when you put all those mechanisms, uh, those institutions, and those processes into place in order to do good for the country. So, I mean, basically, uh, when people say good governance, mm-hmm. uh, the notion of governance is for the people, for the country, and that means for the organization. So it should be good to begin with. So, so I'll end there by saying that um, um, from now on, I'll be talking in terms of weak governance mm-hmm. and strong governance. So we're going to try to to stay within well, those, we're definitely those concepts. here to learn. As I... You know, we're, I'm looking at your resume it's saying that you've worked in Rwanda, Senegal, Tunisia, and all these different parts of Africa. Have you been able to see examples of strong governance and weak governance? Governance, And do you think that possibility may exist in the Congo as we see it today of good governance? I would say, first of all, to the last part of the question, yes. It does. Because okay. I wouldn't be doing this work if I thought it, it wouldn't be possible. Okay. That's the first part. The second part is, yes, um, in places that, um, although I have not worked there, mm-hmm. the first place that I would touch when I talk about governance, mm-hmm. it would be Botswana. Botswana. Mm-hmm. Botswana is the African example of what you call, you know, strong governance. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't hear about it in the West because 
actually it does not quite follow the tenets of governance that mm. uh, the West deems, you know, the, the model. But it works for but them. It works for them. Uh, what I would touch on, um, especially quickly, because we cannot touch on everything. Mm-hmm. I I see in, in Botswana, for instance, when the the, um, the the parliament is working on their their budget, their annual budget, civil societies get a notice sometimes six eight months before the budget is done, and they are given the time to actually react to the, to those and then the time to talk to their uh, uh, MPs members of parliament in order for them to be able to give feedback so that the budget will reflect what the people need the most so for me that's a quick example I can give you as to what you can you can pick up on there are other examples that you can get where you have really institutions that work and then um, for instance, uh, we have seen uh, some good examples of, uh, you know, uh, places where there has been good, I mean, elections that, uh, you know, were, you know, good. And then there, there was a peaceful passation of, uh, um, I guess I would say, of power. Wow. I mean, recently we saw that in Tanzania. We've seen that in Senegal. We've seen that in Nigeria, uh, uh, in, yeah, in Nigeria this, this, uh, this, this last time. And that's what you, you look at when you're saying, you know, it has to be processes that are respected. And um, most people, when they talk about governance, they, they forget one, one golden rule of governance. It's the respect of the law that is in place, the constitution that's in place. That's where you start to do governance. Um, you may not like it, mm-hmm. but that's where you go. You may not like the law the way it is actually, but that's where it starts. You can work to change it, but you have to respect it. So uh, I've heard uh, many times, I'm going to use the example of Rwanda uh, for uh, the purpose of the conversation, especially from Western donors, I've heard many times uh, comments of uh, gender balance within the parliament, uh, having more representation of women in government as a form of strong governance. Uh, what has been your experience in looking at the political system uh, in the Great Lakes region, specifically Rwanda, Burundi? Or, no, I would like to hear more your perspective on that aspect of Rwanda's governance and if there are lessons learned for Congolese in the governance in the Congo. Mm, okay. Um, yes, there are some things that you can learn, although I will be the first one to say when I hear, when the people talk about uh, the participation of, uh, you know, I mean, the gender equity in, uh, you know, uh, in the in Rwandan's parliament and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm sorry, but that doesn't tell me anything about it being weak or strong as governance. That just says something about equity. Um, governance becomes what you put in the institutions. Now, you can argue and say, well, if women are well represented, then they will be able to give, uh, you know, the women, the, uh, the women's, uh, perspective on things, and that will, uh, will, will help people. I mean, will help the country uh, in in the long run. I agree with that. But per se, having um, that gender equity doesn't uh, mean that much in terms of governance. Now, what people can take from Rwanda? I mean, you have to 
although you you can decry some things on what is happening in terms of uh, um, uh, political space and um, and voice in political space, the processes in the processes in Rwanda are clear. You get at the airport and you can see who does what, who you know where are the uh, the workers vis-à-vis uh, -vis the people. Um, and you know, and, and you see that order, and can start seeing the, those processes. Uh, most definitely, in the control of corruption, um, uh, the DRC can learn a lot from Rwanda in terms of uh, you know what the people can do. See, it starts on in the processes. Nobody perceives money uh, out of uh, you know. I mean, they're on the spot without it being recorded on the computer and things like that. So that's how. You, you work on the processes. Everybody knows what, what the institutions are, you know, are there for and what they do. So you can get that. Now, um, does that mean we forget what happens to the likes of uh, Ingabire and all the other political... No, we do not. Um, and that it will come into the, um, the area of uh, you know, um, political governance and how that is that, how you silence people. And if I can quickly go back, mm -hmm. you know, because... Um, this where, as we're talking about governance, we have to understand that um, the, the the dimension of accountability uh, and transparency, I mean, which includes transparency, which includes you know asking people to you know to respond to an entity or to I mean some somebody who has the right to ask them questions and get the answers um, includes also the voice. How can people? Um, get the information that they want and how they can, uh, in counterpart, either reward or sanction that um, entity that has not responded or has responded to what they want. So those are important things uh, to consider. Now, because there is a systemic relationship between all those dimensions, even if your accountability works, uh, and uh, your voice doesn't work, then you cannot deem yourself that much of a strong governance uh, institution. Now, you have the quality of regulations. If the regulations that you have are not working, I mean, if they are, they're, they're, the regulations that you have are not well-designed, well-framed, that everybody can understand, if there's one place where one law can contradict another, then you start getting into a problem of governance. If you get um, efficiency, if the people don't get the services that they deserve, that they, they, that they need and things like that, how long does it take for somebody to get a piece of paper from whatever? That's part of governance. And if it's not working, then you, do, you, cannot, you cannot claim having you know, um, a strong, strong governance. Uh, then comes... You know, control of um, uh, of corruption, have uh, the rule of law. All those dimensions make the big tent that we call governance, and they have to all fit together. And Kambali, I know you. You uh, <laughs> let me give. Let me just quickly touch on Burundi because you wanted to say that. Um, yeah. And I know um, when I worked in Burundi, actually, I worked a lot with uh, civil society, but also with. Um, the um, the government mm -hmm. and making sure and one of the things that I kept uh, telling people was that um, civil society has 
the role of confronting the government, but it is also has the, the role of um, collaborating with the government. Because civil society, their role is to build a bridge with uh, between the governed and the uh, uh, the the, gov- the government itself. And so at that point, it's really a a tightrope that you have to you know t- uh, to work on and make sure that. Um, you do not shut the door, make sure that you do not serve or just follow serviently you know, the, the government. So it's really uh, the place where in Burundi, I would say, we, we have seen things deteriorate to the point that uh, you know, what we see today. Maybe later on we can get into the specifics. Would you say the same thing is also happening in the Congo right now when you look at groups such as La Lucha and um, them trying to have a voice within the country? And, you know, just recently they got locked up for two years for just peaceful protests. Like at what point, how do you build a bridge when your voice is not even respected? Hmm. Well, I will, I will try to depart from taking on just one case mm-hmm. in order to make a generalization. a generalization. But I know that in the case of uh, not only La, La Lucha, I can know about uh, the, 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 the youth from Filimbi mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. all those things who were, I mean, those are things that happen. And I will be here to say um, the Congo suffers mostly from what I would call history and mentality. The Congo has a history of strong men mm-hmm. and sometimes people don't know how to navigate when um, to when you leave out the strong men and what the strong man has to do people are kind of um, you know lost in that the Congo has also a history of um, impunity and people don't know exactly what to do when sometimes somebody wants to ask for you know, people to follow the law and something like that. And those who uh, actually uh, flee from respecting the law. Can you explain to some of our listeners what is impunity? Because not everybody may know. Oh, impunity is where somebody um, does something that everybody can recognize as being illegal mm-hmm. or um, utter disrespect of the law or, or, a sit- a, or you know, somebody's rights. And the person just walks away. Nobody ever asks for accountability. There's so there's no punishment, you know. Um, and sometimes, you know, those people, you can be, uh, there's a semblance of, uh, you know, justice that's being done. But in the end, the next day you see that person uh, walking down the street. Do you, so, do you think, I mean, I listen... I hear what you're saying. Like, let's say a person like Mobutu, you know, he was a very powerful man. Uh-huh. Is it also the role and the responsibility of the citizen to know what they need to do to hold those people accountable? Because sometimes you can tell somebody, well, they do things with impunity. But if the citizen doesn't know, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to step up to make sure that the leader is following through and what he needs to do. Where where does that connection happen? In the in what uh, what I would uh, put still in the mentality, which is the mm. system that the system. works. Uh, that system uh, sort of permeates, you know, uh, not only uh, the, the psyche of the people, but also their behavior. And so at that, at that particular point, you know, people start expecting 
what is abnormal to be, to be normal. Mm. So that's really where I would take, that's where I would take, uh, you know, where Mobutu, since uh, you, you cited mm-hmm. that, put the, the people. I, I usually um, point to one example. Uh, I say, I look at 1973, 1974, 1973, where, you know, uh, Zaire at that time was at uh, the peak of its, um, you know, uh, I would say um, it's glory. And at that time, that's where Mobutu came up with that uh, phrase that sometimes said, which actually brought us a little bit, leave a little bit. Yeah, which uh, brought us uh, to, uh, you know, the kleptocratic, you know. And, but what we don't, for, what we forget most of the time when we look at the Congo is that the youth. People who were born, are young children who were born in 1973, and are, are today the leaders of the country, and they lived under that system, where taking a little bit is okay, taking a lot is okay, where everybody. I mean, we talk about that debrouillez-vous, you're part of a, of a, of the Congolese psyche, and at that point, then you have a whole generation of leaders who have only known that part, that system. I definitely want to build more on that. Let's take a short break and then uh, we'll be right back. Esika bitumba ezali, liboso babo mabatu, babo makanayi no verite. Nani ya kubiko yebisa biso verite ya mitumba hoyo? Comme des fils perdus Dans une terre meurtrie Comme un rêve tout noir Le Congo s'assombrie La guerre nous L'espoir dans ces événements tout noir L'est du Congo s'est embrasé Par des agressions insensées Le Congo se veut la pépinière Un havre de paix, pays sans guerre Avant la balkanisation, échec aux violations Le Congo est notre droit Notre intégrité Notre chère patrie Il demeurera indivisible comme un seul homme, allons-y combattre, défendons la souveraineté de la République. Vita Mudinda, Vita Dilol, Anuba Bubanj, Nebune Neba Jitunga, Tuimana Ibonso, Tuifata Balishi, Mujitunga, Jabanka Bobetu, Zamena Gayahu, Agalito Pena 
listening to Stop à la Guerre, meaning Stop the War. This song brought together prominent Congolese artists to write and produce this magnificent song about bringing an end to the war in the Congo. It was executively produced by Patrick Muyaya, a young Congolese entrepreneur who is currently a member of the Congolese Parliament. And welcome back to the show, Mr. Ali Masi. Thank you. And Kamala, are you still with us? Still with you all, uh, really excited and uh, learning more. Want to know how we can rebuild the Congo? Absolutely. So let's uh, take it back a little bit. So you were born in the Congo. Yes, I was. So you, at, w- at what point did you leave the Congo and move to other part of the world, the USA? I'm not sure exactly how your transition happened. Mm, I um, well, let's say I, I was born in Bukavu, Bukavu, on the eastern part of the Congo. I. Um, studied there almost all my life. I went to um, a college Al-Fajiri, the, the Jesuit school there, and um, after that I went to ESP Bukavu, where I studied English. And so I left Bukavu really shortly after my uh, my 25th birthday and wow. came to the United States with, uh, with a view to come and uh, study. Um, was one of those idealists who kept saying, I'm going back after I finish my studies. And hey, look, here I am, here. We're all 20, 25 here. years afterwards. So. <laughs> in the work that you do in helping institutions in government, uh, governance and accountability, have you had the opportunity to work with the Congolese government? Yes, part of the, Cong- the Congolese government, yes. And in what areas would you say you had some type of success? Have you even had success? Because let, let, let's, let's, let me put it this way. The average Congolese who's in the Congo, uh, a woman who's selling manga, who's uh, working every single day trying to send their child to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people on top who are making decisions, but you don't see the effects in their lives. You have low illiteracy, you don't have jobs. So at what point do you look at what 
you may do or what you have done in the Congolese government, do you call it a strong governance or a weak governance? Because because the average Congolese is not seeing the results of any progress that may be happening in whichever field. Hmm. Well, um, I think I will be um, probably say I see some signs of um, of progress, but mm. uh, I would definitely say it's weak governance. Okay. Um, the the reason mm-hmm. why I, I would put it there is that I look at the um, the institutions that are in place, which is that is good. We have those institutions, and now you start looking at the processes, and you start to what's going on here. I've, I will give you just an example. This is an ad- anecdote. Sometimes I'm at loss of words when I see a Congolese minister from the the government uh, inaugurating a bridge in Kinshasa and I start wondering was that what he was supposed to do or was that part of what the counterpart in the local government of uh, Kinshasa should be doing? You see, at that point you start wondering where are the processes? Is somebody actually saying what should be done here? By whom? And such you start wondering, asking yourself questions. Um, the the role, I mean, let me go back to the work that I have done with the government so that I, um, at least people, mm-hmm. you know, would get to that. Um, back when um, I was uh, at the World Bank Institute uh, in charge of uh, the governance and anti-corruption uh, program for all Francophone Africa, and this was a capacity development position, what I did was... I brought together, um, actually I started out at the World Bank, and everybody can give me credit for that, work with civil society. And in my mind, I was saying, we have to start this place, or this place where civil society and government start speaking to each other. They are not enemies per se. They should be. They should not be at each other's, you know, uh, throat. And the way I was able to do it is bring six countries together, and in the end, they ended up being, you know, uh, nine countries of the region. And that was civil society coming together in Kinshasa uh, from different countries: Rwanda, Burundi, Congo Brazzaville, uh, Central African Republic, uh, Niger, and Chad. Um, no, not Niger, Chad. I'm sorry. Um, and then they come together and they start talking with members, talking amongst themselves with members of the government present. So, and at that time, they build a bridge. They have a counterpart they can talk to in the government. So that was the first part we say, you start building this bridge where no matter what's going on, you know that you can call on somebody who has a year, a near for somebody uh, from the other part. The second thing was when I worked with the um, African Development Bank. And this was where you start looking at the efficiency part of the government, which touches on your question. The, the mother in the market, the, per, the, the, the person who lives in a farm somewhere in the rear of the country. How are they going to see how? And they can only see that if the government is doing its job. And the job is ensuring that when they need something, they can quickly get it in an efficient manner. And so at that time it became, how can you strengthen the, um, what they call the fonction publique there, 
so the public administration and making sure that you know people can come together i have to say i met with many people we talked we had and i thought i had a good concept of what i was going to do um but i think we dropped the ball uh, at the part of the uh, the donor the donor the donor yeah the um, there was not that much of a good communication between um the the team leader or the the project lead and and myself into knowing what should be the role of the the Congolese government in this project and i i should strengthen that i mean i should stress that point because it stems from the idea that each person has of the congo um we congolese in the out, uh, in the diaspora we uh, we play a role in that because all we talk about is how congo does not work how Cong- the congolese government should not be um respected and in the end that's what the outside hears and this gentleman came with the project knowing that there's no way i'm going to work with the congolese government mm. and i kept telling him this project will fail if, if you, you do not mindset. in that mindset and we got to that point but i guess you know i i'm going to be the devil's advocate here you know when you look at the congolese government you have experts such as yourself who come in with these great ideas of how to run institutions and organizations you have the un giving them um you know try this try it's it seems like they just don't listen they just it's like they'll sit there i don't know if they sit in the meetings and they pay attention as soon as they walk out it just goes right out of their heads but it just seems like nothing that is suggested to them is ever done mm. and at what point do we say you know why would me for example if i know that people who have more expertise than me are coming and they're giving you suggestions you don't do anything about it why would i now want to come and work with people who don't even listen to you mm mm you i think you uh, you hit the um, the nail on the head um part of it is not because they don't know but part of it is also because they don't know and i'm going to okay, come to, to that elaborate one. for me remember i said that um uh, capacity enhancement has i mean only can only be successful if you come with the idea that you're working with people who have an idea and that you are not starting from scratch. So if you go there thinking that they don't know anything, you're going to tick them off. And when you do, that means you do not have the cooperation that you need in order to, you know, so you have to be very careful in how you approach that. But at the same time, we have to uh, to accept also and this is a Congolese problem that sometimes you get there and people you're talking to people and they are nodding yes we can do this we can do that and then then you start waiting nothing's happening and you wait and they make you run around and things like that on something that they could have said you know what can you show me how to I do don't that i know how to do it and then that's where you you realize there's this thing that you cover up and sometimes because maybe it's ego maybe it's when some somebody does you know does not want out of a willful you know spirit mm-hmm. to um to 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 work with some with you 
because because they are waiting for something to happen before that before you can you can get to working but at, in that part, at that part as i said you hit you know the nail on the head because there can never be progress if you're working with somebody who does not admit to not knowing anything or somebody who is unwilling to put what they know um at work in order to um I guess to exact a change. So to just jump quickly also uh, in this conversation, um, I'm interested in comparing the experience you just shared with your findings of the Congolese youth. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you um, work with the International um, Youth Development, I think I'm saying it right, uh, in the research of the capacity of the Congolese youth, you know, the challenges they face, and the opportunities present. Uh, I don't know if you can share with our audience what were these findings and how they compare also to uh, the challenge that you just mentioned with um, bringing multi-stakeholders to come to an agreement on something without having the technical capacity to do so. Hmm. My work with the International Youth Foundation, um, first of all, let me say, because I'm not going to be able to cover all, all those findings that people can find um, this report, both in English and in French, on uh, the International Youth Foundation's uh, website. Uh, it's iyfnet.org, so people can find that. Um, the findings were, you know, actually this part where you see um, this longing from the youth to participate, but at the same time, there's uh, like this. They they will be like. Um, it's not going to happen. So there's a really uh, lack of um, opportunities in terms of putting them in the place where they need to be. What we found the most was this absence of this, the sense of entrepreneurship. And uh, that is really something that uh, the schools need to be working on a lot. Um, the, the school system in the Congo needs a to, to reform itself so that when the youth is coming out, you're not preparing them to be these theor- I mean, the- I can theorists, if I can call it like that, and, and be people who have hands-on experience so that it can work. You need to, they need to create more uh, you know, um, entrepreneurs. I mean, we, we heard it a lot from the youth. They said the Congolese system... Um, prepares actually people seekers of work but not create but not creators of work and that's bad to begin with now you get to to the other part where on the governance part um, they would want to participate but they think there's no point they they really have um, sort of come to this conclusion there's no point to participate here because there's there's uh, no political will to let us in uh, at this point. So those few that you see participating um, then become participants who think they have to force things. So that's the example of the Lucha or Filimbi mm-hmm. because they they don't think that you know there is somebody. Uh, a counterpart that they can trust, uh, you know, to to work with, and those to me 
uh, become things that uh, you know um, we have to to look into. I will be um, remiss if I did not mention that um, when we worked on that project, um, oddly enough, the only um, plan for the youth that I and the team, you know, deemed viable actually was the government plan. Which was what? Uh, plan to, to work and, uh, you know, uh, give jobs to uh, to, uh, chill, to to the youth, the youth and things like that. But the point, the problem is that it was not embraced necessarily by the whole government. It's just this gentleman who was working in the mini, in the ministry of um, uh, of works and things, and who had, was in charge, you know, the the youth part, actually came up with this elaborate plan that would have cost, I think, something like seventeen billion dollars, and he was like. We can do this for the youth of the Congo across the country, across all sectors. And in the end, um, I, I heard his voice, I mean, his plea, and he kept saying, please, please tell people, even if they do not want to give me the money to just look at this plan and make it happen. But again, the reputation of the Congo has preceded him. One of the things that you just mentioned right now is when you look at the size of a country such as Congo, it's um, been very difficult for anybody to try to run such a big country with the resources. And you have everybody who has an investment in the Congo. What is your take on that? Um, hmm. Well, let me go back to what, what, when I mentioned when I see a minister doing mm-hmm. something, the role of the government should be to put in place a plan and I guess what I would call give the um, to um, the, the population and to everybody an idea of where we are going and how we're going to get there. Pre- I mean, it has to be uh, well elaborated and so that the people will well designed so everybody will find where they can do it. Let me give you an example and that will be, you know, when we heard about, about the, um, the Chinese uh, contract, from my point of view as a development person, that was a great uh, you know, accomplishment from the Congo. However, let's see, I, I still wonder because I never saw really the, the matrix of that plan. If they were really going to start with the infrastructures from everywhere in the country and had, had an idea of um, putting community development into that plan where for instance you're working on roads but you're also building i can call them you know um um centers where people can either i mean hotels around markets and things like that where everything will be developed and communicate that that would be so the first part where i would say the the um, the congolese government is weak in communication mm. even when they have good ideas they don't Either they don't want to, because again, transparency here makes people um, keep you accountable. So if you tell them what they should be looking for forward to, they will ask you the question. So is this because they don't want you to know or they don't know how to do it? I'm not going to answer that question. The, your listeners will, ask, will answer that question. But that's one part that, uh, you know, I would say developing a country like the Congo will come, come from. It's big, and people have to know 
who is doing what, from what point, and, uh, and what are we expecting of everybody. The second thing, and you can hear it about uh, when people talk about uh, la révolution de la modernité. Well, if they see a um, place where it's like, uh, like in the 17th century, they're going to cry. Well, I mean, realistically, you cannot. Uh, the government could not do in five years, you know, uh, everything everywhere in the Congo. But if they were able to explain how this will help all those places to come to one point one day, how these roads, how this will be good for, for the country and make it happen, because just just don't have to talk about it. You have to to make it happen. I believe they could have done something. Now, um, I'm trying to to talk here so that you know we keep within time. Mm-hmm. But um, the the most thing that I, I would say here is that for all of us Congolese, and that includes the government, mm-hmm. understanding that that country will never rise unless we all want to work on its um, its development. That country is ours. We can call on whoever we want at what point or another, but we will have to sometimes can know what the priorities are and work on it. Well, uh, that's a great segue uh, to hopefully our final question of the show. Um, on January 22nd of this year, uh, an article written by Congolese economist Noel Cherny was published on, in the Time. And the article was titled, How to Reform the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's, I actually enjoyed reading that article. You know, in it, uh, Cherny argues that we need a Marshall Plan uh, just as you know, the West, or specifically Europe, had a Marshall Plan after World War II. And he argues that you no know, Congo should uh, have a plan of 15 years, uh, and it will cost about $800 billion. And he outlined very specific pillars on how this will be implemented in three phases, and this should be funded by the Congo, international donors, and direct direct foreign investments. Um, so I'm a dreamer. You know, I read that. I said, wow, someone has a plan, you know, um, and he laid it out. Uh, but I wanted to hear from you, you know, reading the article, uh, what do you think of that plan? And uh, if you agree, how can we implement uh, that plan? And, uh, or if you have another plan for the Congo? Well, my, um, um, my point here would be I read the article. And um, my first thing thought was, oh, quite ambitious. Maybe Congolese need to be ambitious. But at the same time, when I say quite ambitious, uh, I was like um, $800 billion. Um, although the plan says how you would work on it, the plan doesn't say where that money should come from. So how are we going to raise $800 billion from I home? mean, he, he said... Uh Foreign aid, right? Multilateral, uh, bilateral aid, Congo's uh, resources, and uh, direct foreign investments. But I don't know now how he's going to convince those investors to 
come together for that. That's the part of I'm not clear. Yeah, correct. And that's why I say, I mean, it says that. But, uh, you know, I mean, when you say uh, foreign aid, well, first of all, uh, I mean, I don't know uh, who is ready to give $800 billion, you know. Uh, and so the jury is still out. We need to now understand how they are going to divide up, you know, who gives what. Um, it's, a, it's a pity we're going to at the end of, uh, of this, uh, this show, but uh, that plan needs to be discussed in, I mean, many uh, entities, not trying to be um, a little bit, you know, uh, dismissive, but, uh, you know, maybe somehow uh, people can come up. It should be the beginning of a conversation. My own uh, plan for the, Dep- the Democratic Republic of Congo has to do with a simple thing. I would need to hear a leader of the Congo, preferably the president, if not the president, then the, you know, the prime minister, in terms of governance, go on the radio and say to people, here are things that we need to do. One, everybody who pays something needs to get a receipt for it. Full stop. If they don't give you a receipt, you don't pay. Second thing, I need to hear him say, starting from today, any public official who travels outside of the country, who have within 15 days or whatever uh, to present a, um, a report, a financial report, and also a, a trip report of what they have done, and whatever they have not um, used should go back to the treasury and that begins with me so that is something they have to say we need to see um, in every place in the country that's transparency what the service we are giving you costs how long it will take you and when you should expect to get your service if that is done just that element of transparency that would work Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Alimasi on Congo Live. I look forward to, I know we definitely have to, Kambali, what do you think? We, he definitely has to come back because <laughs> there's no soon. way we can leave the show this <laughs> way. I'm like super glued onto my chair. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to having you again on Congo Live. And we want to thank our listeners. Is there any last words you would like to say? First of all, it's I who thank you. <laughs> and then I will say to the listeners, um, the Congo has hope, and I believe that the Congo will come out of uh, this situa- this crisis. Thank you. And you, and we look forward to having everybody next Saturday on Congo Live. <laughs> Casi no vi la cosa